to kind of bring our series to a close this morning in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. We're in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 13 through 29. Oh. Oh, I guess I could bring it with me, but. I'd probably kick it over or something. Uh, you know, we've been in a series for several weeks uh, called uh, A New King and a New Kingdom. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about a new kingdom of the heart. And uh, so, I, you know, I think most of us have heard the phrase somewhere along the way in church. Uh, if you've been part of church, uh, our God is a God of the heart. How many have ever maybe heard that phrase? Our God is a God of the heart. Um, Acts 13, verse uh, 22 uh, some of those who were part of the early church uh, referred back to King David. And uh, one of the things they said uh, is that God saw him as a man after his own heart. Uh, James chapter 2, verse 23. Uh, Abraham, uh, James said, Abraham was called the friend of God because of the intimacy of relationship and trust he built with God uh, through his journey uh, toward the promised land. You know, Abraham didn't ever really know where he was going. I mean, God says, go to a place I will show you. And his entire life was on a journey longing for something that God would do supernaturally through his life that would touch uh, the entire world. Uh, it says in Exodus 33, verse 11, Moses spoke with God face to face, as a man speaks with his friends. There's something about intimacy, and many of you know the story of how uh, Moses would meet with God in the tent of meeting as they traveled uh, through the wilderness in Exodus and uh, uh, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, the Old Testament. First Kings chapter 11, verse four, talks about Solomon, who was another one of the heroes, uh, or I guess you could say famous leaders, in the Old Testament, not necessarily a hero. First Kings 11 verse four says, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart uh, after other gods and his heart was not true to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father, David. Uh, Proverbs four verse 23, watch over your heart uh, with all diligence for from it flows the springs of life. You know, the whole teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, <laughs> Jesus with crowds of people who had gathered because of the miracles he was doing and of course the messages he was teaching. The whole purpose of the Sermon on the Mount was to draw people back to God in their hearts. He talked about things that were taught in the Old Testament. You've heard it say or said and he would refer to one of the laws of the Old Testament or maybe one of the traditions that were part of the Jewish culture at that time. And uh, he would say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And every time he said that, he went a little deeper and, and talked a little bit about the heart and the matter of the heart in regard to that law or that principle that was part of their culture. He talked about anger and he talked about lust. He, he talked about marriage and divorce. He talked about revenge 
and retaliation. And I, I think that one especially is, is really interesting. Um, did you, when you were a kid, uh, did you ever squabble with your brother or your sister? Anyone? Did, did your mom ever come up, you know, and, uh, you know, she would stop you maybe, you know, kindly uh, <laughs> put her hands on your shoulders? Or if you're like my mom, come at me with a shoe and she was going to uh, knock some sense into me. But anyway, <clears throat> um, you, know, you know what I would always say or my brother would always say? Well, he started it. He started it. And that was my excuse. He started it. That's called retaliation. You know, it's interesting. Some of us never grow out of that. That way we go through our life. And I've, I've had couples, beautiful couples, married couples sit in my office. And uh, r rather than, you know, being responsible for their behavior, you know, one person will begin to talk about maybe hurt feelings or things that went on in the relationship. And I can just literally watch the steam beginning to develop in the mind of the other person just waiting for their chance to speak and they say well I did that because he did that and uh, it's interesting how we do that I mean we've never grown up we're just still little kids and aren't you thankful that Jesus broke the cycle of retaliation I mean it says in first Peter chapter 2 verse 21 through 25 Jesus suffered for you leaving an example for you to follow. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. Uh, when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Uh, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you uh, were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I'm so thankful that Jesus stopped the circle of retaliation and allowed himself to be punished for our sins. And at some point, whether it's in the workplace or in your relationship with a spouse, you have to stop the cycle. You have to allow the sin to come upon you. You gotta swallow your pride, you gotta humble yourself and allow yourself to suffer sometimes for what you feel like is not right or just, but entrust yourself to God who judges righteously. Could, could anyone quietly say amen? You know, it's just, it's, it, it's so important. Jesus was trying to move our hearts to a different place. Everything, by the way, you see in the Sermon on the Mount. If, uh, if the Sermon on the Mount were a, uh, let me use an analogy, if it was a stained glass window, okay, every little panel in that window, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is a panel. There's a picture there of what God is really like and who Jesus is and how he lived his life on the cross. The Sermon on the Mount literally is a picture of the person of Jesus Christ and what your life will become like if you really learn to follow him uh, from your heart. Uh, I'm so thankful that uh, Jesus tried to draw our hearts back to God through this message on a hillside uh, on the northern uh, side of the sea 
of Galilee. He, he goes on and he talks about loving your enemies. Uh, he talks about praying for those who've hurt you or wounded you. He talks about greed and generosity and laying up for yourself treasures in heaven. He, he talks about uh, judgmental, being judgmental toward people. Now, there's a big difference between being judgmental and discerning. I mean, some, have you ever felt, that's not right. You discern something. The, the difference between being judgmental and discerning, when you're discerning, you want to help people for the glory of God. And so when you discern with self-control, you lovingly try to communicate what you feel might be arrogant or wrong or, or incorrect. If you're judgmental, being judgmental literally puffs you up so that you can look down at other people. And we all go through a little battle within our soul all the time uh, in that area of our life. And, and Jesus says, why are you so consumed about the speck in your brother's eye? And, and yet you're so blind in your pride, you don't even see the log that is in your own eye. He goes on and he talks about uh, treating others. This is such a simple one. Just treat others the way you would like to be treated. Uh, just stop for a minute in a circumstance or a conflict or maybe in an area of concern and just, just think, how do I treat them the way I would like them to respond to me? Treating others the way you would like to be treated. Now, Jesus... Jesus wasn't born yesterday. Uh, I mean that somewhat facetiously, but he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And, and he understands literally how difficult this mindset and this model of life is for us. Our hearts are not this way. Our hearts are very selfish and self-centered. And he understands the struggle that we're going to have as we change our hearts. So what does he say? And chapter 7 he says ask and 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 after you've asked seek and then after you seek knock press in pursue I know this is hard for you but if you'll ask I'll be there and I'll help and if you seek and break through I'll, I'll restore and if you knock there'll be healing not only in your life but in some of the relationships and some of the circumstances that you're facing in your life. <laughs> and he goes on to say in Matthew 7, verse 8 through 11, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God is on our side. He's for us, not against us. And remember, uh, religion says, I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. Uh, the gospel says, I messed up. I need to call my dad. And when you understand that concept about the transformation that Jesus wants to do in our soul, it becomes a lot easier for us to simply humble ourselves and become vulnerable and transparent before God and say, God, I need you. I need your help. I ask you to change, to transform, empower, and equip me to be the person that you've called me to be. Now, uh, we're going to look at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount this morning. Uh, 
this is kind of an invitation, uh, verse 13 through 29. Jesus basically says to this crowd of people that have watched uh, all the miracles, uh, lame healed, blind eyes opened, demons driven out. I, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever been in a circumstance where you've seen the demonic, literally, uh, in, in the life of a person. I, it's not the thing that I would cherish the most, and I'm certainly not an expert in it, but I, I do remember on a Saturday night service uh, several years ago when we were in the old building, I remember a young girl coming up, and she wanted to get saved. Uh, but she was struggling with uh, addiction and, I don't know, a variety of things. There was, this, there was this man. I could tell he had her tethered, and he didn't want to let go, and she wanted to come up and receive Jesus, and he was right there, and he was trying to hold on. And she literally began to shake in front of me. And she couldn't pray. She couldn't say in the name of Jesus. And there were things going on in her expressions and her eyes. And I knew there was demonic stronghold there. And all of a sudden, she literally got up and ran out of the building. And my heart was so grieved. When you see the manifestation of spiritual darkness, it's real. There is a kingdom of darkness. And there is a kingdom of light. And these people in this crowd who were following Jesus, they were seeing things like that happen. So Jesus begins to talk. You want to follow me? There's more to it than, you know, just demons being cast out and people being healed and blind eyes being open. If you want to, there's a change that has to happen in your heart. There has to be a transformation in your soul. And so uh, here at the end, he says, do you want to follow me? Is that really why you're here, then you have to make a choice. How many know our life really is a compilation of the choices we make? And that's really, uh, the result of our life is a compilation of all the decisions and choices we make. And of course, uh, the most important choice you'll ever make is about whether or not you'll follow Jesus with your life. So let me begin reading at, uh, verse 13. I'll read down through verse 29. It says, Jesus says, uh, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who, who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me. Some of your translations say, depart from me, you evildoers. Verse 24, therefore, uh, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and yet it did not fall because... Its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice 
It's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. In this last section, you've got to see the love of Jesus here. He lovingly gives some warnings. He gives a warning, number one, about the, the, the gate. The gate is narrow. And the path, it's not just entering in, but it's the continual walk. Uh, the gate is narrow and the path is narrow. And if you find it, a second time, he warns against false teachers and, and false prophets who could literally lead you on the path. And to, today, as far as I'm concerned, there are a lot of teachers, but there's a lot of social media. And there are a lot of opinions being expressed uh, on, on social media that uh, can get you off the path. They'll lead you toward legalism, lead, lead you toward liberalism, or maybe even materialism. It says in the book of Jeremiah, uh, it talks about uh, false prophets, that, that the greediness of, of false prophets. And I think you know that's one of the most obvious ones in our culture today. A third thing he warns against is false confessions. People who think they're following him and who really aren't. They don't know him. And he doesn't know them. And then the fourth thing he does is he commends those uh, who hear his teachings and, and put them into practice. And he says, nothing will shake them. The, the winds will come. Uh, the rains will fall. They'll be immovable in their soul. There will be a solid foundation that brings a peace that passes all understanding. And, and of course, some of us in this room know what that's all about. So I want to look at each one of these. Uh, I, I can't promise quickly, unfortunately. But I would like to try to uh, work through them a little bit with you here this morning. Let's look at the first one, uh, verse 13 through 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many uh, enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road or the path, some of your translations say, that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, this section uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus literally addresses the main objection that people have against Christianity today. Okay, the idea that there's only one way to God or there are absolute truths to live by. I mean, you're so narrow-minded. I mean, that's literally what you will hear in the culture today. Basically, if you're listening to what the world around us is saying, if you want to be a good person, if you want to be enlightened, and if you want to be broad-minded uh, and tolerant, then you're a well-educated, sophisticated uh, person in, in society today. But if you're someone who believes in absolutes, you're ignorant, you're bigoted. And, you know, here's what Jesus said. They hated me and they'll hate you. And that, I'm not trying to be defensive or argumentative, but that, that's just the way it's going to be. They hated me. They'll hate you. They hated Jesus. They crucified him. And the truth is, as, as nicely or kindly, I don't know about you, sometimes I'm offended the way people publicly portray Christianity. I've been bothered by that. You have too. But to be honest, there's always going to be a conflict because there's darkness and light, and they are at war. 
I remember, you know, sharing with a man in Eugene. I used to do a lot of street witnessing uh, when I was in college, and uh, we were sitting on this railing, kind of overlooked a stairwell, and I sat down by him, and I started talking to him about Jesus, and he just exploded. <laughs> he said, I hate Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, all I did was talk about God's love and talk about how Jesus uh, died for him on the cross, and he he, he just exploded, threw me on the ground, quite a little bit bigger than me, took a few swings. I was so thankful I was little and I was fast. And uh, I got out of that situation pr pretty quickly. But the enemy hates the truth. It, 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 it's just part of our culture. I'm not trying to create an argument here, but it's just, it, it's something that we're going to see more and more as we move toward the end. Now, Jesus talks about the end in Matthew 24, and three times he, he says there's going to be false teachers, and there's going to be conflict, and there's going to be persecution uh, against the Lord. Now, what's interesting to me, and I've experienced this in my life, I've had, I've, I, I can't go into detail, but I've had people in the church, and uh, they've visited for a while, and we've talked, and here's what I've learned. The people who promote tolerance are some of the most intolerant people I have never met. I, they, I, tolerance for them means if you agree with me, we're good. But if I hold on to my absolutes and my beliefs, there's, there's some vimen there. And I, I don't know how to schmooze that or, or, or make it easier for you, but it's just the way it is. And, and let me just say this. We need some absolutes. Don't we? If you have no absolutes in society, you have chaos and you have anarchy. Now, it doesn't take a real brilliant person to know that there are absolutes in creation. Cats have cats. Have you noticed that? Dogs have dogs. Okay, in Genesis... God says after their kind, this one reproduces after their kind, and this one reproduces after their kind. Try all you want, but cats are going to have cats, and dogs are going to have dogs. It's just there are absolutes in creation. Of course, the Bible says that all creation manifests and declares the glory of God. So, so there are. There, there are absolutes. And by the way, we need absolutes in society. How many of you driving down the street, you come up to the intersection, the light is green or the light is red? How many of you are just hoping other people are trusting? Absolutely. That's green, go. That's red, stop. How many, when you come to the intersection, you don't want a broad mind per person, you know? I don't know, I'm just feeling a little frisky today. I'm just thinking maybe I'll go through that, you know, red light. And, and you're trusting and if you've ever gone through that, which I have, out on the bypass here about 5 o'clock in the morning going deer hunting, someone did, I don't know where they were in their mind, they didn't stop at the light, and I'm going 65, and all of a sudden they're right, right in front of me. And boy, you know, it turned to the right like that, and I went sideways, and I rolled, and saved his life. Uh, young 18-year-old uh, headed to work at McDonald's. But it was a frightening moment, and... Uh, by the way, how many have ever been in an airplane? I think all of us probably have. How many want a narrow-minded pilot? Okay, you don't want a broad-minded pilot. Okay, all of a sudden, uh, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this is your captain speaking. And uh, we've been cleared for landing on runway two. 
I'm feeling a little frisky today and maybe a little broad-minded. You know, runway three is a little shorter than we normally land on, but <laughs> this just sounds fun. So let's give it a try. Buckle up and here we go. Uh, you know, I don't know. I realize that's a little out there. How many are glad your pharmacist is narrow-minded? You know, you put in the order, you go to the pharmacy, and, and, and the pharmacist, lady or man, I don't know, you know they kind of lean over there. You know that doctor you go to? He always likes the yellow pills. I mean, he's, always, he's stuck with yellow pills. He said, I got these blue pills. <laughs> They're amazing. And I just threw a few in, you know, with your, I hope you like them, give them a try. I don't know about you, I like absolutes. I mean, there are certain things in life that, that I want to depend on, and I think, I think we need them uh, in our life. Uh, every one of us need authority. You need authority. Uh, it says in verse 28 and 29, this crowd, when they, when they listened to Jesus teach, there was something about his authority. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the, crowd, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority not as the teachers of the law. There's something about authority that brings peace to your soul and calm to your soul. If you've ever got up in the morning and spent time with God's word, maybe you're going through a time where you're a little confused. All of a sudden, the authority of God's word is like, so good. We need authority. We need direction. We need clarity. And when it comes to relationship with God, Jesus said clearly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And in John 10, uh, verse 9 and 10, Jesus literally said, I'm the gate. If you want to know the gate, I'm the gate. The thief tries to break in. The thief comes to rob, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. And I just want to encourage you, there are a lot of opinions circulating all the time about life and about faith and about God. Yesterday I was at uh, my grandson's football game. It was amazing. These two teams, I mean, they just went back and forth, back and forth. This one scored it, then this one scored it. Then, I mean, there's 18 seconds left. Both teams scored. It, <laughs> how do you do that? It was fourth grade football, you know. The fastest kid scores. I mean, it's just the way it happens. But anyway, it was a lot of fun. I, I looked over at this little girl. She was amazingly cute, just a real cutie. And uh, she had this little pink sweatshirt on. And on the sweatshirt, little sparkly words, it said, believe in yourself and unicorns. Okay, she's three or four. So, you know, don't take it too seriously. But to be honest, in my heart, I was a little grieved. The whole idea of believing in yourself, it's, it's not that I don't want you to have confidence. I want you to have confidence that God is for you, not against you, that God is on your side. I want self-confidence to be that nothing is impossible with God. What can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord? I want our confidence to to be in God, and I, I do think you need to have a little bit of confidence in your skills and your ability, but please pray and ask God for help. Could someone say amen? Because uh, that's just so important, and I just feel like even with that idea of believing in yourself, we're just kind of turning back to feeling like, I can handle it. 
I just don't know if I really need believe in this narrow way, narrow path kind of, kind of thing. Jesus said, wide is the gate and broad is the path that leads to destruction. And it says in Proverbs 14, verse 2, the way of a man is right in his own eyes, but his path leads to destruction in his life. There's just, there's just something about what's going on. We've got to be careful. The second thing he warns us about is about false prophets. In verse 15, he says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Now, not every person who's claiming to have insight or revelation or spirit guide talk to them or uh, maybe says in some way that they're speaking on God's behalf. Not everyone is really speaking on God's behalf. And it, it's important to know when someone adds to the word of God or subtracts from the word of God, there's a problem, either legalism or liberalism. Okay, in, in, in Galatians, uh, there were people, Paul had come, preached the gospel powerfully, people got saved, healed, miraculous power of the Holy Spirit at work. And then there are those who slipped in and said, that's great, that's awesome, Jesus died, it's wonderful. But you need to keep this day holy and you need to be, uh, stay away from this kind of food. And by the way, you need to celebrate these certain feasts and special things. And the apostle Paul writes and says, are you kidding me? Who's bewitched you? Having begun by the spirit, are you now gonna try to work out your salvation in the flesh? I'm concerned for you, he said, that somehow you'd be drawn away from the simplicity of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. And if you're a person who's pretty sincere about knowing God, there will be all kinds of messages thrown at you about, well, you know, you need to do this, you need to add this. And some of those will be friends and some of those will be other doctrines and maybe social media or whatever. You just need to know things that lead to legalism, that's false prophets. They are not from God. And of course, liberalism, uh, anyone who says the Bible's antiquated, it's not really for today. Anyone who doesn't emphasize our need for salvation, anyone who would suggest that, that, that we don't need to be born again, that you're a good person, that you're not literally dead in your sin, separated from God, that the cross, you know, it was wonderful for Jesus to die there but it really doesn't have the power to save you. Anyone who doesn't understand the mystery and the miracle of the gospel, you need to run, you need, need to flee. There are a lot of Christian circles and I, I see them all the time. I could mention some names publicly. I've, I've, I'm afraid I get in an argument with someone, so I'm not gonna do that. But uh, anyone who emphasizes the love of God without a changed life, See, lots of people will talk about the mercy of God and the kindness of God and not emphasize repentance and obedience. Now, where did we come up with this theology? You know, just say a prayer, ask Jesus into your heart, everything's good. You know, that's true if you're continuing with Jesus. It says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus said. Anyone who hears my voice opens the door. I'll come in and dwell with them and they will dwell with me. That is an illustration of ongoing, continued fellowship and relationship and obedience with Christ. But salvation begins with repentance. Yes. 
The Bible is clear about it. We have to turn from our sin and turn back to God. The, the Bible is clear that obedience to, to God's word is necessary. That's where faith really becomes faith. James chapter 2, verse 26, faith without works is, it, it, it's dead. And I, you know, I think, I, I want to be careful. This is where I feel like sometimes Christians beat up on other people. And I, I, I don't want to do, that's not my point. But if you're really hearing Jesus and he really is calling you, then there are some things you have to leave behind and you know it. There are some things that you're being challenged with in your soul and it's hard for you. You're counting the cost in your mind. You're counting the cost in your soul. And you're realizing this is going to cost me something. But the love of God compels you to make a decision. To die to yourself. And to pick up your cross and follow him. That is the heart of salvation. And Jesus is warning the crowds and the people that are gathered, that, that, that there's more to this than just the touchy-feely or, you know, the excitement or, or, or what, you're, what you're, you're seeing happen around you. Uh, let me read a, couple, uh, a section from Second Peter because it's, it, it's just so good. And I, it's, it's a few verses, Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 11. But these words speak for themselves. So let me read it to you this morning. Peter says, his divine power, referring to Jesus, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's referring right there to his divine power and his glory that he shared with us when the Holy Spirit came into our life. His divine power, his glory, and his goodness. Through these... He has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. You'd have a supernatural love that can't be squelched. You would participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by lust. For this very reason, make every effort to add your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. And of course, he's referring to the uh, love of God. For if we possess these qualities in increasing measure, uh, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. You will receive a rich welcome uh, into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Can someone say hallelujah? I think we should just clap to the Lord's word and thank him for his word. His word's powerful powerful it's powerful okay salvation changes you okay you're not always what you should be but thank god you're not what you used to be <laughs> hallelujah now 
Christianity is not easy. Oh, if you're here today and you're listening to me, I just want to warn you, it's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. Christianity is not easy. If it was, everyone would do it. Christianity is not easy. That's why Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. And he says, ask, and it'll be given. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will draw close to me. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Develop intimacy and relationship with me. The last thing he talks about, uh, verse 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I, I never knew you. I don't recognize you. Depart from me, you evildoers. Now, more than once, someone has come up to me with their Bible in their hand and asked me, what does this mean? And they're just a little frightened. And I don't, I don't think that's supposed to make you frightened here this morning. I'm trying to try to explain it to you a, a little bit. Notice the phrase where he says, depart from me, I never knew you. That doesn't mean I knew you for a while, but you fell away. Basically, it says, I, I, I never knew you. I, I, I never knew you. Okay. First Corinthians chapter eight, verse three. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go there and read it to you. First Corinthians eight, verse three. Says the person who loves God is known by God. The person who loves God is known by God. Depart from me, I never knew you. So the question to ask yourself, do you love God? I'm not asking if you're perfect, okay? Don't put that pressure on me or on yourself. I'm not asking that. But do you love God? I mean, sincerely. You love him. You love Jesus. You understand what he did on the cross. You love his work. Do you love God? Okay, if you love God, you don't love him in your own strength. You love him because of the power of the Holy Spirit that you've allowed to come into your life. And you're a person who is allowing the Holy Spirit to come to you, to touch you, and to teach you in your life. And that's why he knows you. He recognizes you. You're the guy who gets up in the morning with his Bible and says, Jesus, help! I need you. I need your presence. You're the one he recognizes because you're here in church again just to love him and to worship him and to thank him. You're the one he recognizes through your care for other people, your generosity, your service, or all, all these things. There, there are people who have been with Jesus, but they don't know him. They may know the Bible backward and forward. They may know theology, but they don't know him. And probably always go to the Bible to find answers. Probably the best example in the Bible is Judas Iscariot. I mean, he's with Jesus for three years. And yet he never allowed Jesus and who Jesus was to lead his heart into a different place. Judas was totally consumed with money and power that he was going to receive when Jesus set up his kingdom on earth, a physical kingdom. And when Jesus set up his kingdom and drove out the Romans, He's in the money, 
and he was going to be the inner circle. Remember, he had the collection box. <laughs> that was his focus. He never became a disciple. He never allowed his heart to know Jesus and, and to love him uh, from his heart. And so even after he betrayed Jesus and was paid 13 pieces of silver, what did he do? He went out and he hung himself. He didn't repent. It was always about him, his desire for his power, his control, his kingdom. And I know people that have been on mission trips or people that have, are part of ministries that are very flamboyant and there's a lot of money that's involved and they've never been taught in their heart who God is. And they've never fallen in love with Jesus because he knows intimately, uh, because they know intimately in their heart that Jesus loves them. There's something about our hearts. Jesus is trying to teach us about our heart here. There's a new king and a new kingdom, and he wants to become king of your heart. There's a new kingdom for your heart where Jesus can rule and reign in your life. I'm going to invite the uh, worship team to come on up and uh, I'm going to close by reading the, the commendation that Jesus gives here at the end. Matthew 7 verse 24 through 27. Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice like the man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. It's unshakable because it has a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I want to invite you to stand with me here this morning and just want to close with prayer. Uh, all of these things in this last section are simply Jesus giving an invitation to those who had gathered together who were listening to him teach. And he's basically saying, will you follow me? And so I, I want to give you that invitation today. Will you follow me? Will you be taught by me, led by me? Will you allow me to break into your life and teach you my values, my way of things, my way of looking at life and if that's, you know, I'm not a big altar call person, and the reason why is because a person can come to an altar call and think they're saved. Uh, the altar call is only the beginning, okay? When you pray the prayer, that's only the beginning. It's continuing to walk. It's deciding, I want to be baptized. I want to obey the Lord in the waters of baptism. It's deciding, I want to get involved in fellowship because I want to know Jesus, and I want to make him the priority and the first thing in my life. And I was at a Bible study uh, on Tuesday night. I was so blessed. There was about 10 of us there. And four people in that little circle said, I was baptized this last year at Klamath Christian Center or last two years. And I love that when I see, you know, without a lot of fanfare and people coming forward. And not that that's bad, but it's only the beginning. I love it that people are deciding to commit their life to Jesus and follow Jesus, get baptized, get involved in Bible study, and keep growing in their walk with the Lord. And I want to make that challenge to you here this, this morning because deciding, yes, Jesus, 
I want to be one of your followers. That's the beginning. But there's a lot of work, a lot of work to do. There's a lot to learn, a lot to grow in relationship with Jesus. So just in your heart, you want to be a follower of Jesus. And Lord, you see our hearts. I know, Lord, literally almost every one of us here do. Lord, we want to be your followers. We want to know you. And more importantly, we want you to know us. We want you to teach us. We want you to recognize us. So, Lord, we ask forgiveness for sins. We recommit, rededicate our life with you. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your love and your presence. Thank you for being here with us today. We pray these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Go else, amen together. Amen. Amen. Let's sing this song with